are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. We're going to take a little tour around the NFC South and find out what some of these division rivals have been up to thus far during the offseason just ahead of the NFL draft. And to kick things off, we are joined by the host of Locked On Panthers, Bill Rossetti. Bill, how you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. What's going on? Good to be chatting with you guys again. What's, hope you guys had a good Easter. Yeah, Bill. It's great to have you on again. Hope you had a great Easter as well. And, you know, appreciate you coming on to help our fans and our listeners kind of catch up with what's been going on with the Carolina Panthers since we did our massive divisional crossover, what, a month and a half ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, I mean, we talked about Matt Rule back then, right, and, and Ron Rivera being fired during the 2019 season. Hurts my heart because I'm a big fan of Ron Rivera, so I'll be watching the Washington Redskins a little bit closer than I usually do. But now that you've had, I guess we call the majority of the offseason, right? Shortly after the draft, we're supposed to have camps and some workouts going on if that, can, if that stuff can happen. How do you feel about Matt Rule now as the Carolina Panthers' new head coach versus what you thought when the hire was first made? Yeah, I mean, you still got to like the direction I think that this team is is going to go in with Matt Rule. Obviously, when uh, he was brought in, we knew that this was kind of a – a long-term process, right? This wasn't a, a quick turnaround. We, we know the Panthers aren't really going to be competitive in 2020, but you can clearly tell that, and we said this when Matt Rule was hired, uh, he has total control, or I, I shouldn't say total control, but he's definitely going to have a lot of control over this roster, right? Because they gave him a seven-year contract, um, so that they gave, and they're giving him all that money. This was David Tepper basically saying, this is your baby. And, you know, Marty Herney's only uh, – his contract is only up at the end of this season. So this is kind of Matt Rule's show, and you can already tell with the, the decisions that have been made. Obviously, the big one is the change of the quarterback position. Cam Newton obviously out. Teddy Bridgewater in, giving him a, a three-year contract, you know, completely shuffling the quarterback room. You know, Teddy is in. P.J. Walker is in. Uh, they traded Kyle Allen for a fifth-round pick, which I was stunned that they were able to get something for him. But this is just Matt Rule, you know, taking everything under his wing and just doing what he can. This, you know, from the coaching staff to the roster to really a, a lot of this stuff is really under his control. So it's it's going to be really interesting, you know, how um, how he fits everything together and how long this this rebuild takes. Uh, I still feel like this is uh, a, a team that's a couple years away, but. I, th- I think once everything starts to fall into place, I think you're going to see a, pr- a pretty competitive Carolina team. You know, the, I keep thinking back to something that uh, Ben Albright and I talked about at, at the Senior Bowl when all these coaches, when all these coaching hirings are made, and his thought was that the best long-term hire was Matt Rule. You know, he, he thought the best short-term hire was Mike McCarthy in Dallas, but the best long-term was Matt Rule, and I totally agree with that. So, and, and I still feel that way, you know, with, with everything that's been going on. Like I said, I didn't expect this team to really do much. It, we know it's going to be a rocky road. Uh, they could very well be in contention for the number one pick in next year's draft. But uh, this, this, is a, this is a building process, and I think um, after a couple bumpy roads, I, I think this team is going to be just fine. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with the sentiment there, at least that Matt Rule, from a from a long-term standpoint, is definitely going to be an intriguing coach to watch in a, in a situation that could really, I mean, I think it could get, that team could get really good a lot sooner than maybe everybody thinks. I think most of us kind of had like a one to three year, you know, time frame that they're, they're going to take to rebuild. But I think maybe year three, this team, I mean, if if things go the way you can see them kind of going, this team could be competitive. But uh, you talk about kind of a changing the times, right? Cam Newton's gone, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But you know, a lot of times teams are are just an extension of their coach, the personality, the way they approach the game. What are the differences that you've noticed now between Coach Rule and Coach Rivera? And how do you think that the the identity of the Carolina Panthers might shift along with those personalities in the two different coaches? Yeah, I mean, just the way Matt Rule's kind of been talking in the media, you can tell he's just kind of a, a down-to-earth guy. Uh, you know, got, got a chance to hear from him at the Combine, and he was just really excited to get this whole process going, excited to, you know, really be involved with an NFL team. Of course, this isn't his first go-around in the NFL, but it's not like he has a lot of experience. He's only been in the NFL one year, and that was eight years ago with the New York Giants. But he at least has that experience, and he's, you know, been groomed by – a couple of uh, great coaches like like Tom Coughlin, among others. So he he's just kind of, you know, it, it feels like he's not uh, all the, all that rough. He's he he just seems like an excitable guy. Um, even when I got to meet him at the at the Senior Bowl, he he just seemed really cool and you know was was a really nice guy and was ex- excited to to meet him. So he he seems like a really nice guy. Um, you know, Ron Rivera, obviously, you know, we've seen what he did over nine years and he was, you know, pretty honest with, with the media and, you know, not, not saying Matt Rule's going to BS a lot of people too. You know, he obviously said the right things at the combine things like, you know, I'm excited to get to work with Cam Newton and this, that, and the other thing. But, um, you knew that relationship wasn't going to last too long. We knew, uh, 2020 was probably at most his last year. But I, th- I think just the excitement that Matt Rule brings um, it is going to feed off on a lot of these players. Um, it, it just feels like a team that uh, is going to be on the rise soon. I mean, you know, I've, you know, we see the guy's history. He, he took two college football programs that were kind of doormat programs, right? And he totally turned them around in three or four years. And, you know, I think the same can definitely be said for, for this Panthers team. Obviously it's a different challenge because now you're at the NFL level versus the college level. But I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, you know, Temple and Baylor were big name, big name players when he got there, especially when you're talking about a team like Baylor who kind of became an afterthought in college football. And in three years, he takes them to the big 12 title game and the sugar bowl. So you know, I I think it's it's just that overall excitement, and um, you know, you could tell too with with the coaching staff that he brought in. There's just a, it, it's just a lot of young talent, just a lot of. Uh, it, it's all about those connections, right? He 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 also seems to really like those connections. I mean, you look at the coaching staff. Um, it's it's Temple and Baylor almost all over the place, but he he brought a lot of uh, veteran presence as well too. So he, he understands that uh, he's not going to do this all on his own. He, he knew that he wanted uh, other help. He wanted a, you know, he wanted to do most of it on his own, but he wanted guys that he trusted and guys that he can, him, he can learn from. And you're seeing with the, it, with this roster too, a lot of, you know, young guys and, and some veterans, you know, they didn't go out and splurge too much other than, you know, obviously the Teddy signing, but um I, I, ju- I just think it's it's an exciting time. Like I said, it's not going to be a fun year in 2020. I think that's pretty obvious. But uh, down the road, I, 
he's going to turn this team in, into a competitor. I, I, I truly believe, like, like you said, uh, it's probably about a two to three year process. But by that point, I think this Matt Rule will have this team into a, a strong, constant playoff contender. We are taking a tour here of the NFC South on the Locked On Bucks podcast, joined by Locked On Panthers host Bill Rossetti. Bill, you mentioned it a little, uh, you know, in in the first segment the the loss of Cam Newton, the acquisition of Teddy Bridgewater. You also had Luke Keekley very unexpectedly retire. There have been some some major losses. Kind of talk about the the key losses and the key additions for the Panthers heading into the 2020 season, and maybe what are your thoughts on where Cam Newton might land? Because I'm not going to lie, I'm really excited to find out what NFL team I'm supposed to hate in 2020 based on where Cam signs. Yeah, that, that's become the uh, the million dollar question regarding Cam Newton. Obviously, like we alluded to uh, earlier, the the change in the quarterback room. You know, Teddy Bridgewater's in now. Uh, Cam Newton is out. Um, Matt Rule talked about that a little bit in his press conference the other day. It had to do with uh, with Teddy's connection to Joe Brady. Uh, the two of them worked together in 2019 when uh, Brady was with the Saints before he before he left for LSU. And then, um, you know, they they completely rebuilt the the wide receiver room too, right? That that seemed to be uh, one of the big focal points of their free agency spree. The the big one, of course, is Robbie Anderson, uh, giving him a two year deal, uh, about ten million dollars per extra, paying him twelve million dollars in year one. Brought him in, brought in Seth Roberts, the former Raider and Raven, um, a couple other guys, Farrell Cooper, who was a pretty good returner over the last couple of years with the Rams and the Cardinals, uh, Keith Kirkwood of the Saints. So really redid that that uh, that wide receiver group, um, you know, and, and brought in uh, Justin Burris on the defensive side of the ball, the safety from the Browns, who they, they like his versatility. And as of now, he's the starter opposite Trey Boston. You know, I, I think uh, – I'm sure we'll get to this in a little bit, but I think they might still address that position in the draft. But for now, uh, Burris and Boston are your two guys because, you know, Trey Boston was another free agent signing because he was on the market, but they gave him a new three-year deal. And then uh, Stephen Weatherly, uh, adding to that pass rush, uh, a pretty pretty solid rusher uh, from the Minnesota Vikings, but obviously uh, they, they had to reload on the D-line because they lost just about everybody played at that position last season. Gerald McCoy is now with the, uh, the Cowboys. Uh, Mario Addison, who was one of the, the constants on that D-line, he's now with the Bills. Uh, they, they actually lost a couple free agents to the Bills. He, it, it's just funny to see that constant um, Carolina to Buffalo uh, connection. It seems like almost every free agent that's left the Panthers has gone to the Bills, and you've seen now three of them. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, three of them are now with the Bills. Uh, Greg Van, or excuse me, uh, Dara Williams signed there. Uh, Mario Addison, I think one other that slips my mind. Um, but they did lose Greg, uh, Greg Van Roten as well. He, of course, signed with the Jets. And um, probably the biggest loss on the offensive line was Trey Turner trading him to the LA Chargers. But in return, they did get Russell Okung. So they at least have their left tackle situation set for 2020 but now you've got two holes that you've got to fill at the guard position with Van Roten and Trey Turner both gone and that's definitely a position I think they've got to address in the draft now they do have some other guys 
already on the roster that they're pretty high on that they're probably going to want to see compete there, namely uh, Dennis Daly, their sixth-round pick last year, who's kind of played all over the place. He, he could really play any position except center. And then uh, they're still wondering about the development of Greg Little, last year's second-round pick, who uh, had some concussion issues last season and kind of really lost his his rookie season. And even when he was out there, he kind of struggled a little bit. So really going to be interesting to to watch the step that he takes uh, next season. So, uh, you know, brought in a couple decent guys, but obviously some big losses uh, from last year's team. So, like I said, that offensive line, you know, and they, I mean, they did sign John Miller, too, from the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, it was only a one-year deal, but kind of a – kind of a plug-in at that point. Um, so it's really going to be interesting how they uh, how they go into this draft because there's still some pretty pretty gaping holes on this team that I, I think they need to address. But, um, you know, there's some intrigue with some of the free agents that they brought in, but um, nothing that's really going to wow you other than, uh, you know, the, the possible Teddy to Robbie Anderson connection. It's going to be interesting how that goes because there's still some people that are – uh, a little c- concerned about uh, Teddy Bridgewater's deep ball and if he's able to to get the ball to Robbie Anderson or, for that matter, uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. So a lot of intrigue, but definitely still a lot of questions lingering with this team now that uh, the first two waves of free, really the bulk of free agency is now over. Yeah, but like you said, I mean, anytime a team changes their starting quarterback, you kind of expect a, a pretty broad sweeping identity change, but some changes are bigger than others. Like with Tom Brady, I don't think people expect the Buccaneers offense to be insanely different than it already was. But then with the Carolina Panthers, I mean, it goes beyond Teddy B. Like like you just chronicled, there's been a whole lot of gains and losses. And then hitting on the NFL draft, which, I mean, it's it almost sounds weird to say is coming up next week. Uh, where do you expect the Carolina Panthers to go in the first round of the 2020 NFL draft. I've seen Isaiah Simmons mock to the Panthers a lot, which is a player that I love. I think most people love Isaiah. If you love football players, you love Isaiah Simmons. Then I've also seen them mocked in quite a few, you know, trade eligible mock drafts as being a trade back candidate and getting more draft picks for, for Matt rule and his staff to kind of build the, you know, the platform for their team moving forward versus getting that really big stud superstar. You get a lot of good talent by, by trading back and stockpiling. How do you see the Panthers doing this? And what do you what do you say, you know, let's go with like top three. What do you think the top three positions are that this team still needs to address in the draft? Yeah, I've I've said I would be a huge advocate for them trading back. I think they need as many picks as they can get. Like I said, there's a lot of holes that I think they need to fill. And, you know, they have eight picks right now, but if they can get a couple more, you know, maybe get some extra day two picks, or ideally, you know, in a perfect world, they'll trade back quite a bit in round one, you know, maybe make a, a big drop and pick up a potentially a first round pick in next year's draft. Now, I don't know how possible that is. Um, you know, it, I, I think back to one of Joe Marino's recent mocks that they traded all the way back to 23 with the Patriots and were able to pick up a first round pick in next year's draft. And if they can do that, you know, there's people that believe they're going to tank for Trevor Lawrence. And if they get that second first round pick, then uh, they're going to have so much ammo if they're not already holding the number one pick, but they're going to at least have that ammo. Um, Whether or not they trade back or not, I think defense has to be the play. You know, I, I, I get there's people that 
are starting to think that a wide receiver could be a possibility. Um, but with so many other holes that this team has, and like I said, you know, it's, it's not like eight picks is, is a small amount, but uh, I, I think wide receiver is not as pressing of a need as pretty much anywhere on the defense, really. And if, if I had to rank my top three positions, they would all be, or just about all be on, on the defensive side of the ball. They need somebody in the middle of that uh, defensive front, right? I mean, they, they got gutted at that position and we expected it to happen. You knew they wanted to get younger at that position. So that's why uh, Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw absolutely come to mind. I've, I've been fans of both of them for a long time. I, I've said probably if I were the Panthers, my ideal situation, if say like uh, Jeff Okuda and Isaiah Simmons are off the board is trade back and see if you can drop back to a position where you can still get Javon Kinlaw, you know, whether that's a uh, mid teens. So um, I ideally, or ironically, I should say uh, one of the teams I've targeted as a possible trade back candidate is your team, the Buccaneers at 14, because, you know, the Buccaneers obviously need uh, offensive tackle help. They want to protect Tom Brady and you know, there's going to be a run on them. Uh, in the top 10 and there's a bunch of teams in that top 10 especially right behind the Panthers that could use some offensive tackle help the Cardinals at eight the Browns at 10 Jets at 11 so y- you have to think the Buccaneers might be thinking okay we got to jump in front of these teams if, if we want to get one of these big four and the Panthers might be thinking that too so if they can trade back to 14 I think that would be a, a great position to still get Javon Kinlaw and um, you could very well get the Bucks second round pick or at least maybe uh, a couple of day two picks or a third and a fourth, whatever the case may be. So I've targeted Tampa as a possible trade down option. Uh, Las Vegas at number 12. I was saying the Colts at 13, but obviously they're not sitting at 13 anymore. Um, so LA, or Vegas and Tampa right now, I think are two solid options, but if they stay at seven, um, Derek Brown, I think would still be a great fit. I would not have a problem if they took Kinlaw at number seven. Um, if Simmons is there, I, I would jump on him. I agree. I love Simmons. He almost feels like he fits exactly what the Panthers need. And that's just talent, just pure talent any, anywhere on the field. If somehow Jeff Okuda is still there at number three, or excuse me, at number seven, he would he's probably number one on my board right now for the for the Panthers is Jeff Okuda because they obviously have a huge hole. Uh, and it's, it's someone I t- you know slipped my mind when we were talking about gains and losses. Probably their biggest loss is James Bradbury, right? He signed that three-year deal with the Giants. Um, we knew he was going to be gone, though. Uh, the Panthers weren't able to afford him. So if Okuda's there at seven. I think I'm jumping on him over anybody else. If they don't get Okuda, I think second round is a prime target for them to to get a corner. So ideally, I think we're looking at a corner. We're looking at defensive tackle. And, you know, we could be looking at linebacker. I don't think they're going to, you know, they, they could take an offensive tackle at seven. I, I would get the, the the feel for it because they did bring in Russell Okung. but he's only under contract through 2020. So you're still going to need somebody for 21. And, you know, we don't know what the future of Taylor Moten is, if they're going to give him a new contract or what's going on with them or what's going on with him. We don't know what the status of Greg Little is, if they're still confident in him or if they're going to let him move on. So, you know, offensive tackle is a bit of a, 
a sleeper pick, I guess we'll say, uh, at the seventh pick. But for me, if they stay at seven, or re- really anywhere in the first round, if you're asking me, it almost has to be on the defensive side of the ball, at least in the, the first round, especially in that seven to, say, 14, 15 range, uh, whether they trade with Tampa or even Denver at 15. I, I think defense has to be the way to go. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you mentioned trading back with Tampa, and I've actually in some offline conversations with James mentioned, because I've seen the Buccaneers mocked to trading up with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, but I've actually mentioned the Carolina Panthers as well in a trade-up scenario, even though I'm really never a fan of trading up. But, you know, when you, when you have a team signing uh, a quarterback who's in the last two or three years of his, of his career, you're, you're pretty much going all in for that ring. So trading up in that type of situation. Um, but I think, I mean, I think what you said, man, is just kind of indicative with the, with the talent in this class in the first round. Like it's, it's, it seems like it's really almost impossible, even though we know it's going to happen. Like three years from now, we're going to look back at this first round, like we do all other first rounds and say, man, what were they thinking taking that guy? But it, right now, it, it feels almost like if you're in the top 15, that you really can't help but draft an impact player. So I think whether it's Isaiah Simmons, Jeff Okuda, like you talked about, or a trade back and you get, you know, maybe not that top tier of, of talent, but I mean, Javon Kinlaw in a lot of classes would be considered that top tier of talent. But because Derek Brown is there, he's kind of considered that, that step below. Um, I think either way, the Carolina Panthers have the opportunity to bring in a really impactful player to the NFC South and keep the NFC South among the NFL's best divisions, you know, in the league, which I think, even though we the, the divisions kind of slipped a little bit, I think over the last year. Or so I think they're still up there as far as competitiveness and, and all that stuff. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, obviously um, we could argue with that has the, the best group of quarterbacks among any of the divisions, right? I mean, you've, you've got the goat and Tom Brady, you've got Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I, oh yeah, you know, maybe the NFC North we could talk about as another division that's at least got some star power at the quarterback position, at least you know, in terms of the top two with Rodgers and uh, and Stafford. You know, say what you want about Kirk Cousins, and then of course, you know, the mess that you have in Chicago. But I mean, there's a lot of intriguing storylines about the NFC South, and yeah, like I said, I, I think there's. A, quite a bit of a gap right now between Carolina and the other three, but um, you know, with the right picks and, you know, like you mentioned, there, there's a lot of good players in this draft and there's, there's a bunch of positions that are so deep in this draft too, that can definitely help Carolina. That That's another reason why I questioned wide receiver at seven. Like, yeah, everybody wants the star power of, Jerry Judy or CD Lamb, whatever. But I'd be fine. I'd, I'd be more if I'm any team. I'm more than comfortable taking guys like Colin Johnson in the middle rounds, Devin Duvernay, you know, KJ Hamler, or a lot, a lot of these. There's so many good wide receivers in this class that I don't think, unless you absolutely want and need a wide receiver. I don't think you really need to push it. I, I think you could still get good value uh, in the in the top round or in, in in the lower rounds. Now that being said, there's other positions too that if the Panthers don't hit on it in round one, I think you could still find quality players. Say on day two, defensive tackle, for example, they don't get if they don't take Brown or Kinlaw. I'm more than comfortable if they get a guy like. Justin Matubike out of uh, Texas A&M. I really like his game. Um, you know, Marlon Davidson's an intriguing guy. Ross Blacklock 
out of TCU. There's some good defensive tackles here. Cornerback is another position. I've become a huge fan of Noah Igbenogany uh, out of Auburn. You know, just his speed, his, uh, his, his mental ability. You know, the kid learned the cornerback position in two years at an SEC school. Like, like that's unheard of. It, it, just the way he rose to such a strong player in such a short amount of time. I, I've, you know, if the Panthers jump on him in round two, I'm perfectly content with that because he's somebody that, uh, that this team can build around on, on, in that secondary. He, he's clearly smart enough that he's going to, he's going to learn very fast and really grow into a strong corner. So a lot of these positions, you know, at, at this point, it's almost like best player available, right? It's, you know, I, the Panthers, I think, are in, in a actually in a pretty advantageous position where I think they can just let the board fall to them. You know, I've ruled out trading up. I, I highly, because they really don't have the capital for it, you know, so I, I'd be stunned if we hear the Panthers trade up for really any player, but especially a quarterback. I think I've ruled that out. If they trade up for Jeff Okuda, then, you know, okay. You know, if, if they really want Okuda and they feel they have to trade up to number three, then so be it. You know, you, you get your impact player and, um, you know, so it, it is what it is, or it would be at that point. But, um, this team just needs some strong pieces and that's all they just need. They just need more talent, and you know, with the coaching of Matt Rule, I think Carolina gets. Like I said, I think they get back to being a, a contender again in a couple of years, and you know, we're still talking about this NFC South as a as a really good program. You know, obviously, in a couple of years, we don't know what the future of the Saints is going to look like. You know, who's going to step in after Drew Brees leaves? Is it going to be Taysom Hill? You know, what's going to happen with that offense? Uh, you know, the Buccaneers, obviously, after Tom Brady leaves, what's what's going to happen there? And even the Falcons, you know, it's 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 tough to say. But, I mean, right now, yeah, I, I agree. This is still one of the more in- intriguing divisions in the entire league. All right. Well, Bill, certainly appreciate some of your time. Let all of our listeners know where they can find all of your coverage about the Panthers. The uh, See, you also write about the Bengals and, and a couple of other NFL teams. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, all over the place at this point now. Um, you know, still dabbling in Panthers wire a little bit. Uh, Bengals wire, like you said, helping out over there. Pro Football Network doing a doing a bunch of 2021 draft work actually now too. I've been uh, writing a couple articles a week. Uh, so I, I just wrote one on um, Reggie Robertson, the wide receiver out of SMU, who I'm really intrigued by. I, he's a he's a really speedy guy and. Uh, you know, is flashing some star power. So I'm excited to see what he does with uh, James Prochet out the door and heading to the NFL. And um, I'll be having one on uh, Isaiah. Uh, the, the name slips my mind. The defensive lineman out of uh, Wisconsin. I mean, Isaiah Loudermilk. Uh, I'm going to have a piece on him dropping uh, on Tuesday at PFN. So dabbling there, downtown Rams a little bit as well. So yeah, kind of, uh, kind of all over the place. So, uh, you know, obviously busy time and uh, just ready for the draft to get here and ready to start talking about some actual draft picks instead of uh, all this previewing ready to get the draft rolling. Yep. Yep. We are, uh, we are right there with you. So again, Bill, thank you very much for some of your time kicking off our, uh, our tour of the NFC South. We really appreciate you coming on. 
it's a pleasure being here with you guys. Appreciate you guys having me on and uh, always a blast talking to you and definitely excited to chat with you guys again soon with the, with the crossovers if we get them going again soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Rossetti of Locked On Panthers. You can follow him on Twitter at Bill underscore Rossetti. Here on the Locked On Bucks podcast, typically mock draft Monday. However, with the NFL draft one week away or a little over a week, a week away, we decided to go ahead and get our fellow NFC South hosts on the show and update you guys on the state of their teams and their rosters and how that might impact the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Good stuff there from Bill Rossetti of the Locked On Panthers podcast. If you haven't already, please check that out. It'll make you a smarter fan in general. And if, if you know that your, your, fan, your favorite team's enemy, then you know your favorite team just a little bit better. Um, but what we have coming up for you right now here in our last segment of the show is actually the first portion, the first pick, as it were, of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. I don't know if that's the official name for it, but that's what I'm going to call it here. Um, the, the network heads went ahead and sent out the first pick, the intro and the first pick of the mock draft special. And we're going to play that for you here to kind of give you an introduction into what we're doing here on the network with our own mock draft. They've been playing the game their entire life from the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm drafting number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes. Full hearts. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school, we gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever. Become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to the 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. Brian Peacock here alongside former NFL scout Matt Williamson. We will take you through the first round plus in a network-wide mock draft. All 32 teams represented, even those without first-round picks. Hosts making picks for the teams they cover. Our friends from the college side of the network with profiles on each one of these prospects that get selected in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special, why they are considered worthy of first-round selections, and analysis from my co-host, Matt Williamson, as well as draft dudes Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, and the Locked On NFL Draft crew, Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak. If you're listening to this kickoff episode on a team-specific podcast, you can follow along all week, every pick throughout round one, On the Locked On NFL channel, teams are talking trades, so you may not know exactly where your team ends up selecting. We'll conclude this draft next Friday, checking in with those teams in round two who didn't select in the opening stanza, some of which might jump into round one before it's all finished, and recapping everything that went down all week long. Matt, I'm pumped. Are you ready to do this thing? I'm very ready to do this thing. This is a very cool event. I think people will enjoy it. We've had so many new subscribers since last year that didn't get to enjoy it. So you're in for a treat. You're in for a wild ride and a really well put together whole situation here starting right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was one of the most popular. It was the most popular show on the NFL side of the network last year. And I expect it to be even bigger and better. And the way things are right now in the world And wherever you are listening to this podcast, I hope you are well, and I hope this is something fun for you to listen to 
all week long. Matt, as the Cincinnati Bengals go on the clock with the opening selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft, you've been through this. What are teams doing in preparation the final days and minutes leading up to the first pick for those specific teams? Well, this year, who the heck knows? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that there's things like, you know, the, the, the electronics or the, or the IT people are coming to everyone's homes to make sure everything works, checking, double checking, doing all that kind of stuff. We mentioned before, you know, maybe you could run mock drafts in terms of let's try to just do a, a whole walkthrough, basically, of how this thing's going to work. If we're going to make a trade, who's in charge of calling this team, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, in olden in the olden days and the not 2020 draft, most of the hay is in the barn really a day or two before the draft. I mean, you might be calling agents of your favorite people to make sure that prospects didn't fall down the stairs or that knee that you're worried about isn't <laughs> flaring up. But for the most part, things should be done a couple days before the draft. Let's check in with some of our analysts here on the network. We have a pair of NFL draft shows, Draft Dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast. And let me just tell you, as a couple of Draft Dudes, we are really excited for this Locked On Podcast Network draft simulation where each host is going to make the picks for their team and Uh, I know it's not the real thing, but it's pretty damn close, and this draft promises to be very exciting with all the dynamics between the teams with multiple first-round picks and all the quarterbacks. So, Kyle, uh, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am. Yeah, the big mystery here is, from the quarterback perspective, how many can we get to go early? And then the other fascinating subplot is, when does the offensive tackle run start, and how fast does it go? Because there's generally considered to be four top offensive tackles. There's generally considered to be three top quarterbacks. Maybe a fourth with Jordan Love if he sneaks in there. Remains to be seen. And the order of all seven of those players who are feasibly top 12 talents coming off the board is going to be a really interesting scenario to see how it actually plays out here. I think just as interesting as the offensive tackle discussion is the wide receiver. Everybody knows this is a really deep and talented crop of receivers, but there's really exciting guys at the top of the board. You know, could we see six, seven, eight guys go off the board in the first round? When does that run start? And uh, who are those late first round guys that uh, teams that, you know, like the Packers or or like the Saints and Eagles and, and Vikings? Who do they get if they are uh, left kind of picking the later half of those top tier pro- prospects? So uh, offensive tackles, quarterbacks, wide receivers, the NFL is a passing league. And you can tell that this um, this draft is going to really help these offenses be more dynamic. Yeah, it's a deep class, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities to see players that in a typical class are probably off the board by 20. They might be lingering here in the late first round, early second round. So lots to look forward to, lots to get into. Looking forward to see how these teams start their drafts. Hey, everybody. Trevor Sykema and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast here with you. Excited to go on this journey of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben, this is going to be a lot of fun. There's so many things that could happen in this mock draft. What are you looking forward to most? 
Yeah, it's always nice when you're able to get 32 guys, each of whom knows their team as well as the host and the Locked On Podcast Network do, and they can control for their pick. And then you have the freedom for things like trade negotiations as the pick comes off the board. You have the ability for surprises as each individual analyst focuses on their guys. I think, number one, we're not. it's not going to be a typical mock. It's not going to be like what we no, see definitely when not. only one person controls all 32 teams. There's going to be a lot more aggressive moves, so I expect to see big trade-ups. I expect to see surprising picks, yep. and that's that's the reality with these. When you're controlling just that one team, you go and get your guy. That's what we see in the league. I guess that's what we'll be seeing in this mock as well. I'm really interested to see how the offensive tackles go here in the first round because – it's just the possibilities are endless. We saw that in our guest mock draft series that we're doing on our podcast. But, I mean, what other positions are, are big ones? Quarterback, wide receiver, probably, right? Well, I think, yeah, I think that when you're making these sorts of picks and it's it's catered to your audience for your podcast, you're tempted sometimes to go for those sexier positions. And the sexy position in this draft is undoubtedly wide receiver. So to me, I'm really interested to see. We know the big three will come off the board and Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. Who's wide receiver four? Who's wide receiver five? And just how many can we fit in this first round? Ooh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ben and I are going to be back with you recapping a lot of these picks throughout the mock draft. I'm very excited, so let's get it started. Okay, Matt, we're here. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. Is there any doubt what the Bengals should do here? They earned the right through their poor play in the 2019 season to be drafting number one overall on everybody's list. It seems to be the same name, the same prospect that should go first overall. If their phone is ringing, should they even be answering it, or do they know who the pick will be with the first overall selection in this draft? I mean, you answer it, and if someone offers you a godfather-like offer, you consider it, and you still might not even say yes. I mean, I think Burrow is the super prospect. He would go first in almost every draft, you know, nine out of ten years. That's a gift, and the Bengals need it. He's an Ohio guy. They need to sell tickets. They need to sell jerseys. The offense that he falls into isn't in that bad a shape as first overall selections go. So I think it's kind of too good to be true. All right. With that, this draft is underway. Let's go to the hosts of Locked on Bengals and get the pick for Cincinnati. Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. The first overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals easily and without second thought select Joe Burrow. In fact, Joe, we received no calls in the war room for the number one pick. I guess everyone just knows not to ask. And I don't think we would have considered any offers anyway. So we make this pick. This pick has really been made since maybe be late December when the Bengals lost to the Miami Dolphins in week 16 of the regular season and clinched their first overall pick. Joe Burrow went on a tear in the playoffs after that, and the Bengals will finally get a franchise quarterback. First time they've drafted number one since 2003 when they drafted Carson Palmer out of USC. They're in that position again. The roster has been turned over on the defensive side through free agency, and I think they're looking at this squarely of saying our Super Bowl window opens again if we draft Joe Burrow number one in 2020. That's right. The Bengals don't just spend money to spend money. This is a strategic injection of funds into the defense to make themselves competitive while they have Joe Burrow on his rookie deal for five years. He's, of course, expected to come in and be a day one starter in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton is still on the roster, but will not be on the roster by the time training camp comes around. He might not even be on the roster by the time the draft is finished. We are looking openly 
to trade Andy Dalton for whatever assets we can recover. And if that doesn't work out, he'll be cut before Joe Burrow shows up for rookie camp or for the first offseason activity that we're allowed to hold with these rookies this summer. Joe, how much better does Joe Burrow make this team? Well, the quarterback is the most important position, and I think we're looking at a guy coming off a historic college football season that many have said is the best passing performance throughout a whole season in the history of college football. What does he do better than Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton has been the Mendoza line for starting quarterbacks in the league for a long time, and I feel like all of the skills you look for typically when you look at college quarterbacks, usually they are the big guys with the strong arms going near the top, and you say, can they function in the pocket? Do they have accuracy? How's their IQ? How's their processing? Uh, how do they do off script? All the questions you normally go into tape asking with Joe Burrow, those are all the answers you have with him based on tape and based on what he showed this past year. All of those things are not in question. He has them in spades. It's the arm strength, right? That's the only area you really question. And I would say it's very similar to Andy Dalton. So it should be an upgrade in almost every area of quarterbacking other than that. And that's okay because when you look at the best quarterbacks in the league over the last 20, 25 years, whether it's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees, they all had those other features in their game without having a cannon for an arm. Simply put, Joe Burrow is the most influential recruit in LSU football history. In leading the Tigers to the 2019 National Championship, Burrow was fantastic, shattering school records and setting national marks that may not be touched. 5,671 yards and 60 touchdown passes for Burrow while completing 76% of his passes. His arm strength won't wow you, but Joe Burrow makes up for it everywhere else. His decision-making is elite, just six interceptions on the 2019 season. He's the son of a coach and a film room junkie. There's a story about LSU beating Alabama, getting back to Tus- from Tuscaloosa to Baton Rouge, and when Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, got to LSU football ops that night to go get the cutups of the film, Burrow had already beaten him there. Burrow has very underrated athleticism. Not only was he a high school quarterback, he was also a high school basketball player. And his ability to move the chains with his feet is something that many have overlooked throughout this process. Burrow is a fierce competitor whose teammates love him, who rises in the biggest moments. Should Joe Burrow stay healthy, he will have a long, prosperous NFL career as a franchise quarterback. This is Matt Moscona of Locked on LSU, your source for LSU and SEC content every day. All right, Matt, there's the pick. Joe Burrow goes number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, and there's a lot to like about Joe Burrow. I think maybe if you're nitpicking, you can find some knocks here and there about arm strength, which in some cases is completely overrated. And uh, I I like what was said by many smart NFL people in the past that the quarterback position isn't so much played with your arm once you get to the NFL level. It's played from the neck up, and I think that's where Joe Burrow really shines. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he is a good athlete. He has a remarkable head and poise and confidence for the game, processing, accuracy, He does not have a power arm, and that worries me a little bit considering the area of the country he's going to when it's sleeting and windy and, you know, in the NFC North and late in the year. We'll see how he deals with that, but that by no means would slow me down from making such a pick. He's a tremendous prospect. 
More Locked On NFL Draft special coming up. The Washington Redskins are now on the clock with the second selection. All right, and we hope you enjoyed that little teaser there for the Locked On NFL mock draft. If you want to check out our pick for the Buccaneers, that episode will be up on Wednesday. But if you want to find out what went down with pick number 14, you got to make sure you check out Tuesday's episode. So, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a minor spoiler, but yeah, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Host mock draft there on Locked On NFL. And of course, you can check out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're sending us your voicemails to 813-444-58 for one follow along on twitter at locked on bucks at jarco underscore bucks at dh82 underscore bucks and at bucks underscore nation hope you all have an absolutely outstanding day stay safe stay healthy wash your hands and we thank you so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks